you have your copy of scripture, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6. We are picking up really at a nice place. We left off in our series in Romans, really concluding that section on justification at the end of Romans 5. And though this is not an entirely new section, it is um, related to everything that went before, and I hope you'll see that this morning. But it is, um, in another respect, it is Paul transitioning. Paul's going to talk to us about something he hasn't talked about. Um, to this point in Romans, and so we pick back up in our series in Romans, looking at Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the first part of this chapter, and we'll look at verses 1 through 14 this morning, Romans 6, 1 through 14. If you're using the church Bible, you'll find that on page 942, and as usual, I know you'll find it helpful to have a copy of Scripture open and reading along with me. Before we do, let's go to the Lord, and let's ask him to bless the preaching of his word to us this morning. Father in heaven, we ask that you would send redeeming grace and sanctifying grace to us this morning as we come to the scriptures. We pray that what we read and hear would not, um, uh, would not be lost on us, that it would not come to us as an empty thing, but Lord, that you would accompany it with your Holy Spirit. Father, we acknowledge that um, unless you send him, all that we do is in vain, unless you quicken us and unless you... Send your spirit to sanctify us and to convict us and to, um, to open our eyes to see our need for your son, that, that this will be in vain. And so, Father, we plead with you to bless the preaching of your word this morning. We pray that we would be changed and conformed into the image of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 6, beginning in verse 1, and as I've already noted, this is connected to what has gone before. Paul now says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members To sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, I wonder if someone asked you what you believe Jesus accomplished at the cross, what your answer would be. I think probably most of us, if we 
had someone ask us that question, we would say, well, he died to forgive our sins. And, and that's right, and that's true, and Paul has been glorying in that, and Paul has been elaborating on that, and Paul has been unpacking that. Um, for the last three and a half, four chapters, he has explained that the death of Jesus was a death in which he died to forgive us of sins, and, and his law-keeping is that which provided a righteousness so that in him we are justified by his death, We are righteous. We have our sins forgiven and we have his righteousness imputed to us. And what Jesus accomplished at the cross was our justification. But I think it's interesting that Paul doesn't leave it there. Paul now introduces a new dimension to the death of Christ. There's a fascinating quote by William Still I want to read to you. He said, Christ died three deaths in one. First, to atone for our sins, our actual, actual acts of transgression, but he also died to slay our sin nature, dealing with the root as well as the fruit of sin. And so by his death, he is able to slay that fruit in our lives. Finally, he died to the domination of Satan. So still is going to argue, and I think correctly, Jesus died three deaths in one. He accomplished so many things in his death that if we only get justification, if that's all we get, then then we really have a truncated gospel. And so Paul here, as he's picking up on what he said before, um, notice the, the what has been called a dangerous phrase. I think it is a dangerous phrase in verse 20, where Paul says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. That's a dangerous way of putting it. Paul does that intentionally. He wants you to know the greatness of the grace of God and justification, and so he uses a dangerous phrase. He says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that it's impossible that you could outsin the grace of God for justification, that God's grace is so infinitely full in Christ that there is more, there is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. And yet, On the heels of that, notice what Paul now says in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, you can imagine some of his opponents have just heard Paul say, where sin abounded, grace did abound much more. And so the question is then, an opponent could say, why not sin our heads off so that God gets more glory and we get more grace? Because the more sin we do, the better grace looks. That's... That would be the perversion of what Paul has just said in Romans 5.20. Why not, why not sin all the more? It doesn't matter what I do. Paul has said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's true. That's right. Praise God that's true. Praise God that's true. So now, why not go on sinning so that more grace comes and we experience more of God's grace and God gets more glory for giving more grace where we sin more. And so Paul introduces a second dimension to the cross. Paul says, not only did Jesus die for your justification, Jesus died for your sanctification. And so really from chapter 6 to chapter 8, Paul's going to unpack the very difficult doctrine of sanctification, how we are being made holy, how we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. And I want to say this this morning. So important is this, so important is this truth, that if we don't get this, or if we say somehow, I don't need that, I'm justified, we have essentially denied the gospel. Because the gospel includes more than just justification. It includes sanctification, that Jesus died to sin's power for us. Now, Paul is going to sort of set out 
a very specific aspect of sanctification here. In our passage, he is going to tell us what John Murray has called definitive sanctification. So he's going to talk about one aspect, and I I really want to emphasize this morning, I think most Christians never get this, and so they never make advances in sanctification. That this stands at the head of Christian living, and getting this is the secret to sanctification. Um, I heard a theologian tell a story about a young man who came to him. He's one of my favorite theologians, and uh, this young man, he was a minister. He said, can you just tell me what the secret to sanctification is? And this minister went on to say, within a few months, this, this young man died. Um, and, and that he's thought about that question over and over and over through the years and that he's come back constantly to Romans 6, 1 through 14, that this is the secret. If you want to grow in grace, you've got to know that you have died to sin's power by virtue of your union with Christ, that there has been a radical breach with sin, that sin no longer has dominion over you. It doesn't mean we don't sin. Paul's going to come to that in Romans 7. He's going to say we have a battle in dwelling sin, but, but if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, you have died with Jesus. You have died to sin's power. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You're not under law, but under grace. He died to the power of sin. You died with him. You rose with him. We are new creatures in Christ. You are definitively sanctified if you're in Jesus. And so we're going to look at this. I think Paul kind of naturally divides it up for us under three headings. First, the question about sin's power in the life of believers. And then secondly, the explanation about sin's power being broken in the believer's life, and then finally, the application, the questions, the explanation, and the application. Well, notice there in the first several verses that Paul tells us, um, he asks three questions, four questions. And it's kind of interesting, when you actually meditate on what Paul's saying here, Paul's essentially saying, have you gotten spiritual amnesia? Have you gotten spiritual amnesia? Have you forgotten what happened to you? You know, it's interesting, Paul, um, he doesn't come with a whip when Christians fall into sin. He comes with warnings. He comes with uh, sobering warnings about judgment to come. But Paul doesn't come with a whip. In almost every case, Paul comes with a do you not know? Do you not know? Have you forgotten? I'm convinced more and more that the majority of our failings An inability to grow spiritually is that we forget what's happened to us in Christ. That we forget. We go through our day. We have our conversations. We get bogged down with business. We get bogged down with ambition. We get bogged down with 100,000 things. And then we fall into sin. And and, and then we feel guilty. And then we feel condemned. Then we worry why we're not growing spiritually. And then we wonder, why am I not making more progress? And Paul would come 100 times out of 100 times to you if he knew you. And he would say, do you not know? Do you not know what's happened? Have you forgotten? And notice here in, in... These four questions at the beginning of chapter 6, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace abounds? By no means. How can we, who died to sin, live in it any longer? How can you, if you have died with Christ, how can you live in sin any longer? 
It's, it's an ontological impossibility. It is an absolute impossibility in your experience as a creature, in your being. If you're in Jesus, it is impossible that you would go on living in sin because you've died with him. And so Paul says, essentially, do you not know? Notice verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is essentially saying, if you think that you can go on sinning because grace abounds where sin abounds much more, you have forgotten the gospel. You have not gotten what William still says is Christ's three deaths in one. What has happened in the death of Christ? But notice, Paul comes in. He doesn't come with a heavy hand. He doesn't say, and this is very important, he doesn't say, now you've been justified, keep the law. This is very important. Paul doesn't say, the gospel is, you've been justified, now keep the law. Now, Paul will elsewhere appeal to the moral law of God as applicable to our life many places in his letters. But Paul comes in and Paul says the secret to sanctification is found in the reality of what Christ has done. Have you forgotten what happened to you in him? When you come to Christ, if you've come to Christ, what happens is there is a radical breach with sin. I experienced that as a young Christian. This is I would argue next to justification, the most glorious doctrine to me in the Bible because I experienced a radical breach with sin. I had people who would say to me, what happened to you? What happened? What, I, I want to know what happened. How did you go from being what you were to, to this? I died with Christ. And, and yet, it's, it's something we forget. And so Paul asked this series of questions so that we would think about it. Now, notice there in verse 3, in one of his questions, he asks, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, I don't think Paul is saying everybody who has water on their heads is redeemed. Paul's not saying that. Clearly, he's appealing to the sacrament. He is saying, if you've been baptized, that should have some sort of impact on your life spiritually. How many days do you go through life thinking, I am a baptized Christian? Probably not many. Paul would say, if you are a baptized believer that what that is symbolizing is that you were spiritually baptized into Jesus Christ, into his death, into his resurrection, that you are in union with Jesus, and that what that sign symbolizes is that you are in saving union with Jesus Christ, that everything that happened to him happened to you. And so there should be an impact. When we think about our baptism, we should think, I'm in union with Christ. I died with him. I rose with him. I've been buried with him. Everything he underwent, he underwent for me spiritually. And I have experienced that in the spirit-wrought baptism of the Holy Spirit in my soul. And so Paul is bringing these questions out, I think, in order to sort of introduce what he's going to do in expounding it. Let me say here, I know that most people don't like to be questioned. They don't like questions. Questions reveal our ignorance. Questions reveal oftentimes uh, what we don't know. They, they reveal things we don't like about ourselves. Um, it's also very interesting that right after Adam sins, God comes with a series of questions. Adam has sinned. God says, where are you? What have you done? 
Have you heeded the voice of your wife? Who told you that if you ate of the tree, you wouldn't die? God has a way of taking questions, and I just want to encourage you to meditate on these first four verses and meditate on those questions and take them to heart. Have you forgotten what's happened to you? Do you not know that you died with Christ, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we are now brought forward in new life to walk in newness of life? Well, secondly, Paul does begin to explain this in more detail. And notice in verse 5 that he tells us, Firstly, that we have been united to Jesus in his death. The secret of the Christian life is union with Jesus. That's the secret, the mystery of the Christian life. Only those who are united to Jesus get what Paul's saying here. Only those who are united to Jesus love the gospel, love the scriptures, love holiness, love wanting to walk uprightly. You know, um, Union with Christ is paralleled only by union with, in marriage. Um, in marriage, uh, generally, couples love what the other spouse loves because of their union. Over time, they often begin to like things they never liked before because their spouse loves that. That's, that's how this works spiritually. We're united to Jesus. And in being united to Jesus, we learn to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. And not only do, do we love what he loves and hate what he hates, notice what Paul says in verse 5. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So what Jesus did in the, on the cross was he was united, and this is very difficult to get, and yet you have to understand that Jesus Christ, every step he took in the incarnation, if you're a believer, you were united to him then. He was representing you. He, he didn't just start representing you at the cross. Everything he did, he did as your representative. And when he hung on the cross, everything he accomplished happened to you spiritually. In time, God applies that to you. But it actually happened in union with Jesus in his death on the cross. You were there. I love, the, um, I love this uh, story about John Gerstner. There's an old hymn some of you will know. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And John Gerstner says, you bet you were there. You were hanging on that tree with him in union with Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, you were there. You were united with him in a death like his. You will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Everything that happened to Christ is true of believers. So if, if that's the case, if that's the explanation of what's happened, then how in the world could we ever continue on in sin? And Paul continues to unpack this. Notice he says at the end of verse 6 that we should no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. And so the experience of every believer, and here's the wonderful thing, this is not something for super Christians. You may be the weakest believer in this room, and yet this is a reality that's true of every Christian, no matter how spiritually mature or spiritually weak, no matter how young a Christian or how aged and experienced a Christian, this truth is true across the board. Everyone who has died with Jesus has been freed from sin's power. 
Everyone who's died with Jesus has been freed from sin's power. And notice what Paul says in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. I, I love this quote. William Still captures things so well. He says, we are as dead to sin as Christ is. We are as dead to sin as Christ is and as alive in risen power as he is. So if you want to know you're, where you're at in, in relationship to sin's power, Paul says here, you are just as dead to sin's power as Jesus was. We'll talk about that in a minute. And you are just as alive in risen power as he is. So unless we're going to say that Jesus Christ is somehow still under the dominion of Satan and sin, and we'll talk about that. And unless we want to deny that he has broken sin's power, he has defeated Satan, sin, and death, he has conquered the one that conquered man, and unless we want to deny that, and unless we want to deny that he has been risen from the dead and that he has ascended to his Father, then we have to accept, if we're Christians, we have undergone everything that he experienced. Everything he underwent was for us, And as believers, by faith union with him, we experience that. Now, there is a psychological dimension to this, and there's a spiritual dimension to this. Spiritually, this is true of you if you're a believer. And yet, there can be things that are true of you spiritually, and psychologically you haven't grasped or you don't understand or you've forgotten, and Paul would want you to try to psychologically understand this, that this means, and we'll get to this in a minute, when you are confronted with sin, when you're confronted with temptation, you ought to be able to say, I have died with Christ. I am no longer under the power of sin. I do not have to sin. Sin is not my master. It has no mastery over me because I have died with Jesus. So that really every conversation, every action, everything that we do should be governed by this principle. I have died. I have been raised. I walk in newness of life because the Savior has for me. Now, there is a, there is a, a unbelievably deep and important theological principle embedded here. Notice what Paul says. You really have to focus on this. Notice what he says. Verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So Paul is assuming that at some point in the crucifixion, death had dominion over Jesus. That when he died, there was a sense where the God of life subjected himself to death. And death's power. Now, how powerful is death? The Bible says it's the last enemy. Death is it. Death leads to judgment, eternal death. Death has a, a, uh, a bondage-keeping uh, slavery and mastery over the fallen race of men. And Satan, Satan takes death. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Satan has the power of death and that he uses that against men to keep them in bondage and fear of death all their lifetime. So, so there is a bondage to death. Death is not a good thing. Anybody that tries to convince you death is a good thing, except for the believer, because he's died with Christ, knows that that's not true. 
There is a bondage and a fear of death. There is a terror to death. There is a there is a there is a an enslaving nature to death. And Jesus Christ put himself under that. The only one that shouldn't have tasted death. The only one who shouldn't have undergone death. The only one who never sinned and merited death died and put himself under death's dominion. When he lay in the grave dead, his spirit with his father, his body in the grave, he was in some sense under the dominion of death. But notice what Paul says. Paul says death no longer has dominion over him. He conquered death. He took out the sting of death. He rose, he burst the gates of death, and Jesus no longer is under the dominion of death. Now, here's the glory of it. Jesus Christ did that because you are going to die. He did that. He tasted death so that he might break the dominion of death so that now, as the hymn writer says, death is now our entrance into glory. That's why Jesus did that. He broke the bonds of death so that you don't have to be afraid of death because you've died with him. He died under death's dominion. He broke that dominion. And he rose in newness of life and power, and he assures you now that the dominion of death has been broken. Secondly, and and sort of connected, notice verse 10. Paul says, for the death he died, he died to sin. Now, this is very difficult. What does Paul mean? The death he died, he died to sin. He's not saying he died to forgive sins. It's not what he's saying here. What Paul seems to be saying is that in some sense, though Jesus knew no sin, though he knew no personal sin, though he himself was never under the dominion of sin in his life, he never knew the dominion of sin like we know it. We know the dominion of sin, don't we? We know what it is. Yes, we know. We know what sin's dominion is. We know what it is to feel enslaved by sin. Every true believer is going to acknowledge That's a reality in in our experience that we are under sin's dominion. Jesus was never under sin's dominion until he hung on the cross. And somehow, in the mysterious working of God's government, Jesus Christ put himself under sin's power. When he had all of our sin imputed to him, somehow he put himself under the power of sin. And when he died, he died to sin's power. He died to break the power of sin. He subjected himself, though he never sinned, he he was constituted a sinner by our sin being imputed to him, and he died to sin's power. So that means two of your great enemies, death and sin, dominion of death, power of sin, were broken in the death of Jesus. They They were destroyed. They were removed in the death of Jesus. So Paul says, Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Now, that's beautiful. That means that never again can sin take dominion over you because of the finality of the once-for-allness of Jesus' death. Because of the perfection of the once-for-allness of Jesus' death, sin can never have dominion over you ever again. Not, it, not the mastery that it had over you before you were in Christ. And so Paul says, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So the fact that Jesus is living is proof that you no longer are under the dominion of sin if you're in him. 
that all of that has been dealt with for you. Because at the end of the day, here's the great problem of problems. How do I get over this sin? How do, I, how do I not fall into this again and again and again and again and again? How do I not get enslaved to this? And Paul would say, you died with him, you rose with him. He died to death's dominion. He died to sin's power. The life that he lives, he lives to God. And now, notice what Paul says. Thirdly, the application of all this. Notice verse 11. So you must literally reckon or consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If, if, if there was one verse, if you asked me for one verse that would help you in sanctification, so is there just one verse, and I hope you care about sanctification, if there was one verse that you said, I want to grow in sanctification, I want to grow in holiness, give me one verse that will help me, I would, I would take you directly to Romans 6.11. You must reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying here, preach the gospel to yourself. That's what he's saying. Paul is saying, you must preach the gospel to yourself. Every day when you get out of bed and you've got to head off to work and you know you have difficulties and challenges and you're already off to a bad start because you feel terrible in the morning and that's when you need to stop and say, I have died to sin. I have died with my Savior. I have been risen with him. I have been raised up to newness of life. I am no longer a slave of sin. I don't have to give in to sin today. I'm not under its mastery. Paul emphatically applies this. Notice verse 11. You must reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then notice verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to obey its passions. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, I think in saying what he says in verse 12 and 13, Paul is acknowledging that it's possible for you as a believer, it's possible for you to let sin reign in your mortal body, and it's possible for you to present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. So the very fact that Paul has to say do not means that there is a reality that you can and sometimes and maybe oftentimes have done that as a believer. He's going to come to this, I think, in chapter 7. But That's not permission to do that. That's not saying, well, because that can happen, because you as a believer can let sin reign, and and there are times where it may feel like it's raining more in your life and you're giving in to corruption more, that, that that's okay. Just because that can happen, Paul would say, be vigilant against it. Take these thoughts captive and, and do not let sin reign in your mortal body and do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Now, let me say this briefly this morning. I want to be as free from sin's domination in my life as I can be. I think, I think, I hope I speak for all of you, if you're believers, that that, that should be, that should be an, a daily, overwhelming thought I do not want to be mastered by sin. I do not want sin to reign in my life. I do not want to give in to sin. I mean, that's, that's, that's sort of the, the breathing of a Christian soul. I do not want to be mastered by something I was mastered by. I do not want to go back 
to unrighteous things that Christ redeemed me from. I do not want to give in to these things. And Paul would have you know, you don't have to give in to those things. That you've been set free from sin's power. You're not under the law. You're under grace. That you're united to Jesus. That you've been united to him in a death like his. And you'll be united to him in a resurrection like his. And that the life that you live, you live in resurrection power. And so... I think the more that we get this psychologically, because spiritually it's true whether you get it or not. Spiritually, this is if you're in Christ, this is true whether you get it or not. Experientially, psychologically, we really need to labor to get this. We love the doctrine of justification by faith alone. We don't want to move away from that. We are righteous in Christ. But remember, Jesus died three deaths in one. He died to forgive us of our sins. He died, as still says, to slay our sin nature, and he died to the domination of Satan. So, if I can just press this on you today, as you go out, you're going out into the world, six more days, hopefully back here, next Lord's Day. Um, as As you go out, go out knowing what's happened to you in Christ. It's good news. This is not, this is, this is some of the best news you could ever hear. You are those who have died and been risen in Jesus. And you are united to him, and you have all the resurrection power, and you are now to reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So whatever sins that you feel like you're struggling with, you're falling into repeatedly, you need to preach Romans 6.11 to yourself. You need to preach Romans 6.1-14 to yourself. I think it's I think it's the secret to sanctification. I hope that God blesses it to you and that you'll really pour over these truths and meditate on them and realize uh, their truthfulness in your life if you're in Christ. Let me pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, how weak and how um, small our understanding, how much we have... um, ourselves fallen into spiritual amnesia and forgotten what has happened to us in your son. And we show that, Father, every time that we give in to sinful temptations and desires, we pray that you would heal us. We pray that we would know the truths of um, definitive sanctification, that the power of sin has been broken in our lives, that we have been raised up with Christ to walk in newness of life, that, Lord Jesus, you have died to... Uh, the domination of death and the power of sin and, and the devil. And we pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would make us to know resurrection power in our souls this morning. We pray that our lives would be transformed by these truths. We pray that you would cause us to grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. Father, we pray that you would hasten our sanctification, that you would increase it, that we would be a people zealous for holiness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.